welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. I'm Annie Warmke. You are indeed. And today we're joined by Alexis Romero. And we're going to be talking about the demographics of green living or is sustainability sustainable? <laughs> All right. So welcome, Alexis. Thank you for having me. All right. Alexis, tell us a little bit about yourself, your hopes, your dreams, your passions, your whatever. <laughs> okay. Well, it's going to be long or rather short. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I am a third year. I just finished my third year at the University of Florida in north central Florida in a town called Gainesville, where I've been studying sustainable design and development all throughout college. And I've been plagued with, you know, just real information about climate change and humans, sociology, things like that. And it's really um, promoted me to just pursue experiences and internships with people who have um, knowledge about sustainability and how to incorporate activism and knowledge into just pursuing my desire to help make the world a better place. It's a bit overwhelming at times, so being at Blue Rock has helped me um, just kind of get down to my roots and learn from some really awesome people. So is everything you're hearing out there about the climate in the world pretty much good news? That's uh, um, good stuff? <laughs> well, it, it keeps me up at night in the, in the bad way. <laughs> um, some of it's hopeful and some of it's just god-awful. So, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I always tell myself is it's never as good as you think it is and it's never as bad as you think it is. That's, so. that's a good way to and think And besides about it. that, we're all going to die. So you know. <laughs> Everybody's going there. <laughs> yeah. But I think, too, you know, one of the things that's really powerful is to say, all right, this is just the analytical piece so we know what's possible and what isn't possible or we think it isn't possible. So, but what's in our heart? How do we move on? That's where the activism takes place. So, you know, too bad if people's vocabularies are at 400 words right now and mm -hmm. they don't seem to be able to express themselves. We're going to move forward in what we believe to be the best solution for our personal work and then also the bigger picture. So Okay, so instead of talking about gloom and doom, we were going to talk with you today a little bit about some of your insights on demographics, sustainability for different cultural groups, different ethnic groups, different mm -hmm income groups, things like that. So obviously you've been thinking about some of this stuff uh, and, and wanted to get your insights on that. Yes. So for my senior year, which is coming up in the fall, I have a capstone research project where I'm going to be doing qualitative interviews and observations of low-income communities in East Gainesville. It's a notoriously intense uh, divide between the East and West of wealthy and more poor neighborhoods that are predominantly black. And so that is what led me to start considering demographics such as students, residents, history, politics, and how those influence sustainability, accessibility, and how people just approach what it means to live in conjunction with the environment and you know what sort of things keep them from making sustainability a focus of their daily lives. So what? So what's your like 30,000 foot view of this? Like, uh, we'll talk about students first, because mm -hmm. Gainesville is a college town. And, and are they all worrying about where to get the next beer? Or are they worrying about <laughs> how to save the planet? You know? Well, so I've 
sort of dipped my toe in the realm of, you know, Greek life and students, things like that. But I have really been able to surround myself with some people who share similar viewpoints as me, who are all studying environmental things, marketing strategies, because nowadays we're all so connected through social media. It's like, you know, you got to get people to be influenced by what's happening in the media and how can I be showing that I'm an activist today to my followers, things like that, or people who frankly just don't really find that to be something that's actually going on or that's something that they don't need to pay much attention to. Um, they're just students here passing through Gainesville and they don't need to pay much attention to you know, what's been going on historically and what the future looks like for this place. But I think Gainesville is pretty special, even though there are pockets, but there's pockets everywhere. And I think that that's really cool about being in an urban place. Um, I don't have much experience being in rural areas. So that's what's been really awesome about being here. But um, the student demographic is is pretty interesting because you also have the university at the same time that's serving students and you know, donors and people that want to invest in UF rather than Gainesville as the community that I see it as. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the challenges I think if we are realistic is that all of these, all of these different pockets that are within the student body or the town or the rural area that surrounds it um, bring their own cultural experiences and so there is this sort of divide among that as well, not just with the East versus West Gainesville, mm -hmm. but also among the student body and other groups. And I find it interesting when you look at the UN's uh, report, they have a lot of really, really fascinating, uh, they come up with all these sort of clubs, that's what I call it. And they have all these lists of things you can join and participate in, but they talk very, um, uh, at length, they talk about the role of poverty and the fact that women are not included in like decision making mm -hmm. or in the roles of how society operates. They do have their own roles within their own lives, but they don't have in the larger. And I just wondered, you know, how how do we address that? How do we say the real issues start with accessibility for mm -hmm. human beings and that's rooted in poverty or mm -hmm. or not, and it's also gender, whether mm -hmm. it's your gender, um, definitely an issue. Yep. How do we overcome that? Well, I had I have one really awesome professor. His name is Hal Knowles, and I've had several classes with him, and he's one of the more progressive people that actually gets his point across and shows that he cares about students and communities. Which and is very difficult for progressives <laughs> to have a point I know. and yeah. get it across as a, mm -hmm. as a second issue. Yeah, I, I was struggling with that, and then when I started to have classes with him, I was like, oh, well, you can do it, and you can teach people at the same time, but but the one thing that he said to me at the very start of our first class was that there can't be any environmental justice without social justice. And that has sat with me throughout all my years taking these classes because as much as we frame what's going on, you have to look at the people that are behind it that are going to be part of the solution. And if you don't have equity on an income level, a gender level, and like just like basic quality of life, then no real progress can be made. And I think that women have a very huge role in 
being green and influencing people. And, you know, there's something about sustainability, which I've come to see that men aren't really, you know, I don't want to bring my reusable bags or I don't want to talk about this because it makes me less manly and I'm more in touch with nature and the, a more feminine side, which I just think is, you know. Well, well intersectional. That, yeah. That's the that's the word we like to use these mm -hmm. days. Is we we learned that in, in eighth grade gym class. Yeah. So, so that's <laughs> I think important. you learned it before that what? in the womb, perhaps. But <laughs> I want to wait just okay. one minute. Okay. I want to just right. say that all of these things intersect. Mm -hmm. And we act like as humans, because our brain thinks in little boxes, we put information in little boxes in our brain, that this, these are all in these little boxes, and mm -hmm. they don't really intersect. And we can pretend, you know, and I, but the thing is, as Jay's bringing up, how do we, how do we make it sexy? How do we make mm -hmm. it jazzy? How do we make it gender specific so that everybody finds the, a way to participate in some meaningful well, I've, way. I've, I've got one solution. Um, I'm afraid to hear actually, it, actually. No, no. <laughs> this is a recent development. I thought it was that pretty you, cool. That you have made? Or no, that, no, 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 no. I, um, I read stuff, and, and I, <laughs> I saw this when I was reading stuff. But um, Ford has come out with a new electric uh, pickup truck, and this thing is as macho as macho can be. And it's called, like, the Ford Lightning, and it's actually... A, um, so it has a symbol that resembles not Harry Potter, male no, no, no. genitalia. No. Uh, <laughs> that'd be an interesting hood ornament, but, but I don't think so. Um, anyway, so so it's it's got it's all electric, and it's got uh, seven plugs, so you can plug in your your electrical equipment. Do macho men have electrical equipment? We we carry them with us at all times. <laughs> And um, they're born with it. And then it has, you know, because there is no engine in an electric vehicle, they have what they call the frunk. Oh, so you can which ram is the, the engine. No, it's the front trunk. And oh. and so you have a lot of plugs there. But you can plug this thing into the charging station and it's electrical backup for your whole house. So so basically what they're doing is they're taking the electric vehicle, I think, in this one thing, and moving it from the tree hugger. Um, Greenpeace kind of thing to the to the guys who spit tobacco and go to the Chill. job site, and it becomes macho. Mm -hmm. And and while this is one little step, I think it's an indication of you know we we and you guys can ridicule the machoism and, and stuff, but that's a demographic, and we yeah. need to appeal to that demographic. That's what I'm mm -hmm. asking. I'm yeah. saying, how do we give appeal? them a truck? But they're man. but they're not just males. <laughs> and and don't make us... it don't make it run quiet. It's yeah. got to be, have I like, said, it's got to have the revving. Well, the thing is, I think that we have, it's all in the marketing and we mm -hmm. haven't done enough uh, informational stuff. We haven't done enough focus groups. We haven't had billionaires that are in this industry yet. Um, mm -hmm. The the likes of the Tesla people that, that, yeah. that's, that doesn't get it. It's not okay yet. You know, it's got to be on a much broader uh, Well, level. Elon Musk is sort of the first one, but he's a little bit crazy or a lot yeah. crazy, depending <laughs> yeah. on how you want to look at it. But I, I, wanted, I, I think you're right. Women are better at this. Women are nurturers and all of that stuff. Well, as but, a whole. But to me, the bigger challenge is if you're poor, if you're just trying to get through the day, you don't care about global warming. You don't yep, care about matter the world no. you're just saying i need to eat yeah. i need a place to live so how do you deal with that right it's, well and i want distraction i want to i want to have distraction i want to 
smoke my weed or mm-hmm. listen to okay. my rap but that's song. Not a, that's not a poor thing. <laughs> no, We're talking but, poverty No, at the but moment. this is part of that poor system. And so if we were able to interject, like you say about the truck, and interject other things through social justice to say it's not just mm-hmm. an anger issue, it's this this whole issue of um, of of marketing. Yeah, it's really about yeah. marketing. Mm-hmm. Well, but your professor was he basically saying until you can address you can't address global warming, you can't address all of these sustainability issues unless you um, address the fact that everybody has enough. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people can't care about the quality of the products that they're buying or how they connect with nature, you know, get out and go for a hike. It's like, no, I have to go to work. I have to provide for my family. And that's why, you know, we have to invest in local people and policies and programs that make it accessible to them, you know, teach them about, growing their own food and it doesn't have to be necessarily like here are the things that you need to grow your food and have a healthy diet. It's like, how can we make a sense of community and create a garden and have general discussions that talk about, you know, why you should care about this and how this can make, you know, they already have to deal with so much in their daily life and, you know, never knowing what's coming next. So why can't we just like help them see that this can be accessible if we work together on it. And I think, I think there's this really broad issue here. And that is that we, we can't help them. Mm-hmm. We have to say from within their group, uh, what is it you need? So the idea yeah. that you have to sort of do like focus groups mm-hmm. and things like that, um, I think those can happen. I think there have to be some kind of reward involved. Um, in my experience uh, with the health department, they continually say, we don't know any people in poverty who can be a part of this group to give feedback. Yeah. So those of us who are interested in this issue have to go and connect with those people and bring them into the fold. Mm-hmm. So Jay's okay, giving so us the I'm, signal Yeah, I'm here. giving you the high sign that, so. that, that I want to remind everybody you are listening to when the biomass hits the wind turbine with Jay and Annie Warnke and joined today by Alexis Romero, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God, I think. Yeah, thank God we think. So So basically, we're talking to Alexis here, and we're talking about some of the challenges. I, I think, you know, at least to me, a lot of this is like a first world um, mindset. Mm-hmm. We're saying, okay, let's, let's approach this from so the whole sustainability, the whole green movement has been a middle-class um, movement. Yep. So how do we broaden this out in both directions? How do we get the upper class, you know, saying, hey, you know, if you, just because you've got more toys doesn't mean that you're not going to, sur- you know, that you're going to survive the end of the apocalypse here. And, and mm-hmm. also the people who don't have the same amount of resources, how do you make that a priority? Right. So. Well, that, that, that's the key, I think, coming out of COVID, mm-hmm. is that we, as a culture, don't understand how to be resilient. And mm-hmm. that applies to every socioeconomic group. Yeah. So how could we take resiliency and come back to, uh, to people who are spending the day just trying to get through it, mm-hmm. whether that's because they're on disability and in pain or they're poor or whatever that is? How do we bring resiliency, which is the first step in sustainability? Mm-hmm to the public 
Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. We have mm -hmm. to make people well, want Alexis to do it. Well, Alexis does. So Alexis, <laughs> okay. tell well, us the answer to that. In my, you know, present thinking, I am a student and what surrounds me is education and awareness and wanting to learn more. And, you know, that's where I am at this point in my life. So it's in, you know, classic thinking for me, I'm just like education is key. But that hasn't been something that's been notoriously available to all people of all classes of all locations. And that's, you know, it's a sad thought. I, I too get overwhelmed thinking about the possibilities, but how, you know, powerless I feel in wanting to bring it to people who just simply don't have it on their day to day that this is something that they prioritize because it's just not viable for where they are in their lives. They have other things to focus on. So I'm, I too am trying to figure out a way to make that happen. And I'm hoping to get some more insight uh, locally in my community when I do this research um, during my fall semester. So I hope to come back and answer that for you one day and take it to a bigger scale than just my community. But I do have some ideas in how we can invest there. Um, Annie and I have been talking a lot about how just community empowerment and creativity are not your usual ways of getting people involved in the conversation, the climate conversation and equity conversations, but they are very empowering ways and they are accessible to have people, you know, start talking and, and get moving on, on those things. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing we were, we've been talking a little bit about the class issues, but you were saying you're not that familiar with rural environments and we're, thank goodness, not that familiar with urban environments. Yeah. So, so what are some of the um, differences that you've noticed? I mean, you've been here at Blue Rock Station for just mm -hmm. a little bit uh, and you were in um, uh, Gainesville. Yep. which isn't exactly New York City, but it's, it's, it's a bit more <laughs> it's a, it's condensed. It's a small town. Yeah. It's yeah. a small town, so when, you, when change happens, you see it for sure. And even in the three years that I've been there, I've seen so much sprawl and gentrification and students and people that are welcoming it and encouraging it. And over the summer, I was pretty active in um, Black Lives Matter um, conversations, and we had this one discussion and it was like an informational protest where a political group took people around to the predominantly and historically black neighborhoods that are surrounding the campus and showing us you know how this plot of land that's empty and growing so many weeds used to house hundreds of people and they were promised by our government that they were going to renovate their building and within five years and now it's been 10 years and their building is just gone and they've been moved out. So the gentrification from the university has been intense and you know that's the big big the big money that's there and generations of developers that just keep thinking that we need you know development 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 and so I don't I haven't been here a long time, but I don't see much of that here. Um, I see that people have their individual land and they have their animals and their crops and their feed and all that good jazz that's not very <laughs> familiar to me where I am. Right. Well, we haven't seen development since the 1800s yeah. here. <laughs> well, so. there, there is development. And what, what it does is it benefits the people in the government. So mm -hmm. they own the land and then they sell it for an industrial park or whatever. Yep. So, so part of the challenge is really that 
the government is the gatekeeper on some of these issues you're talking about. And right. the government likes to play at the idea that, you know, they're going to do better and they're going to throw out little biscuits to the, mm -hmm. the poor and the underserved and all that. But I think that the real issue here is how do we create a megaphone for people that will brainstorm creative solutions? We know, mm -hmm. you know, you say about education, but we know a lot about what has taken place and it hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason it doesn't work is because it doesn't include the people who are really benefiting from not being given uh, balance in their life or opportunity. And then to say, all right, how, what are their voices? What do they have to say? You know, they got to go out and throw a Molotov cocktail to get somebody's attention. Mm -hmm. Well, is okay. That's a figure of speech here, <laughs> as opposed to well, but I'm to just saying that's plan, what ends right? up happening. You know, this is this is an anniversary, one year anniversary for, uh, you know some horrible things that have happened in our country. Mm -hmm. And the only reason it got attention is because people started acting out mm -hmm. and they acted out in a really harsh way. Well, I think you're dancing around one of the things you always like to say is this, you know, you can't fix the system because it's working the way it's designed. I always say it's not mm -hmm. just so, us for nothing. Yeah. Yep. So, so you've got a system that's designed to benefit the people it's currently benefiting mm -hmm. and it's designed to basically keep, the rest of the people at a minimum, you know, whatever that is, just enough so they don't take to the streets with their pitchforks. Yeah. So, so how do we change that system? I mean, that's, and it may be, it's not a one thing. It's a, it's a, you know, 350 million different things yeah. for 350 it's million. Very complex. People. Yep. So, and, and because you've taken this on, we're all sitting here waiting for you to have the solution. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm only 21, so I'm part of the uh, <laughs> I'm part of the uh, you know social media age where marketing really is a huge advocate for change. And over over you know summers, natural disasters, people have been using it as a tool to get involved, to get themselves aware, get other people involved. But um, but at the same time, there are trends that just influence some people's daily lives and their decisions if they are in a place of you know privilege where they don't have to deal with you know, what am I going to eat? Am I going to be able to, to afford rent and things? You know, they have different priorities. So it's how will people perceive me? How will people perceive what I post about, what I talk about, what I think about? Or protect and, what I have. Mm -hmm. How do I protect what exactly. I Exactly. So that's mm -hmm. when marketing becomes a huge part of and the solution. And I think it can be used as a tool. I've seen uh, some social media applications help people, you know, make a living. And that's that gets a little bit uh, hairy for me because then it's like, you know, am I even an independent thinker anymore? What am I really gearing this information towards? And who am I having these conversations with? So it's knowing your audience, knowing the tools that you have and what's accessible. And I think using that to our advantage. Well, I would think when you mentioned social media, it just brought to my mind that that's a whole structure, a whole society, a whole system that didn't exist two decades ago. 
Right. So if you can change everyone's behavior, I mean, and not everyone 100%, but pretty close, um, in, in a matter of two decades, then that would give me hope that you can change behaviors. There's clearly a reward system involved mm-hmm. in social media, yeah. whether it's an intangible approval kind of thing or, or just having your voice heard when before you couldn't have it heard mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Well, can't we come up with some mechanism of approval mm-hmm. for good stuff instead yeah. of, you know, I've got 75,000 followers mm-hmm. Whatever. Well, an awful lot of it comes down to the to radical being mm-hmm. at the root of things. We we have to begin to say what's needed in these communities without just throwing money out there. Yep. Knowing what truly is needed, and that's where the word re- repatriation c- continues to come up. Mm-hmm. And it really isn't about let's give all the land back to the you know indigenous people or the slaves or whatever. It's about saying what's needed now. How do we invest now in mm-hmm. people? And I think that's really what you're talking about. So so yeah. how do we make it their idea and make an investment at the same time? Yeah, those are the challenges mm-hmm. really. Well, it seems like you're, you, you know, like when you were just talking about this investing in people, it's funny that we're talking about sustainability and green living as investing in people, because for so long, when I was your age, mm-hmm. you know, a million years ago, mm-hmm. um, it it was more about the people are the enemy, mm-hmm. and the planet is the thing we need to invest we in. Got to mine mm-hmm. it. And yep. and so so it was the people that were the problem, and and now we're saying no investment in the people is the solution. Yeah, well, the right investment mm-hmm. in the right people. Oh well, right and wrong. I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I can't I can't get my head around that. <laughs> no, yeah, that's the Republican. In it. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I think we've just come to prove that we have a lot of power and a lot of influence some more than others it's just about finding the balance with how we're all going to interact and shift the mindset and the trend towards you know this is something that we should all care about as a collective and how do we frame it so that the different groups that are existing will you know make that a priority as well like the places where you go on your ski ski vacations aren't going to exist anymore so maybe don't use that plastic bag today. <laughs> or international yeah. travel is going to cease yeah. to exist the way it is now. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So summing it up in about 30 seconds, what's, what's your view? What's your, are you hopeful or are you not? Well, I'm, I'm hopeful in myself. I have been struggling to find the confidence of whether I can, you know, really take this on and be a happy, healthy, functioning young adult and make this part of my work. And, but as I've, come to know more people and knowledge and tactics to make this something that I can adopt in my daily life. I just want to remind myself that it's, you know, day by day, I'm doing what I can as long as I'm empowering people and their relationships with the environment, then I'm doing the most that I can. And that gets me hopeful, but with each ding dong doing something dumb and it ends up on the news it's just like takes me a notch back but i i gotta gotta just you know prevail that's really all you can do well it sounds like we've got a 12-step program for the planet yep nobody's listening help help me to know the difference yeah (laughs) okay well you've been listening to when the biomass hits the wind turbine with jay and annie warmke join today 
by Alexis Romero. We want to thank Alexis. Thank and you we guys. want to thank our Emmy Award winning producer, Adam Rich, who is every demographic group that has ever been. <laughs> and thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess. Jay, you better eat some vegetables this week. All right, in a sustainable way. Until next time, bye-bye. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueRockStation.com. Yeah.